I think that emotional intelligence comes into play here. Sometimes you've got to convince someone that your project, which you're asking to spend so many dollars on, is worth the effort. And you've got to understand the risk, but you've also got to sort of separate the personalities from these things. From the University of Melbourne, this is Expert Hack, a show about the changing world of work and how industry experts are finding clever solutions to tricky problems. I'm Ali Moore. Today, what engineers can teach you about harnessing your personality to build better relationships. I spoke with Chair of Qantas, Lee Clifford, and Kerry Halupka, a postdoctoral researcher at IBM. I started our conversation by asking Lee how engineering has changed over the past 50 years. Firstly, it's the speed of change. It is changing very rapidly. Sure, the basic principles are still the same, and I think it's important that engineers understand the basic principles, but uh, technology is evolving much more quickly. If I look at my early days, I was using 10-figure logarithms for uh, surveying underground. Well, you know, those things are a thing of the past, and I think you're seeing certainly the tools that are available changing very, very rapidly. Is the core skill set the same, or does it naturally have to be different because the tools are so different? I think that some of the natures of the tools are changing, you know, physics, computing capabilities, and the skills that an engineer needs are somewhat different, but you still need the basic principles, be it civil engineering, electronics, mechanical engineering, mining engineering, metallurgy, etc. Some of those things are changing because the tools are very different. Kerry, what do you think? I mean, do you have a historical perspective? Oh, I definitely don't have a historical perspective, but I I have always thought that engineering or the the process of learning to be an engineer is less about memorising facts and figures and ways of going about things and more about learning how to problem solve. So that skill of actually knowing how to solve problems, knowing what to look for, what kind of information you don't know and what you should go and find out, that, I would say, is something that probably was required when you did your engineering degree. I think that's right. I think engineers have always had to be very adaptive. You know, I think that quite often technologies were leapfrogging the way you did things. I can think of my own experience in metallurgy, etc. And, you know, the nature of the work's changing. The, the work that people are involved in, if I look and I'll say, they probably don't need as many coopers or glass blowers as they once did. Technology's changed and you've got to be aware and adaptive enough to uh, manage those new technologies. Yeah, adaptability is huge. And it's also probably why engineers are found in so many different professions as well. That ability to transfer your knowledge from one aspect to another. I think also... You're seeing engineering skills impacting on life and industry very differently. I would suggest also something like agriculture. The farmers of today in broadacre farming are using very much different technology from, say, 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And we're going to see it more in medicine, I think also in teaching, the way it's communicated. And I've also thought about infrastructure. You're now seeing remote control of uh, equipment in mining operations and driverless cars. So technology is adapting, but we're also seeing some jobs are absolutely disappearing and we've got to make sure people have the skills for the new jobs. Absolutely. I've actually heard a figure that in America there used to be 46% of the population were farmers. And now I think it's 2%. 
So that's quite ridiculous, that change. And I think we're probably not aware of how fast things will change going forward. If we went back 15 years and someone said driverless cars, I remember being involved in a trial of a driverless truck in the mid-90s. And, you know, I'd have to say I probably wasn't aware of the opportunities that it created. Now, that truck had more than just gearbox and transmission. It really had a lot of intellectual property in that business, and it was going to make a, a real difference to uh, mining. But if you look, I mean, for example, the most obvious recent example is trains in mining. I mean, they're completely automated. They're run from, you know, thousands of miles away, perhaps in Perth, when the actual train is up in the Pilbara. And they've just changed the way you do business. I mean, that's a classic example, isn't it, of just how dynamic the whole process is. And it- You'd have to say the person who's being recruited to work for that company has a different mix of skills from the old days. And, you know, I think some of those technologies are going to impact in areas we can't even envisage at the moment. Kerry, you made the point earlier that engineers are often found in different professions, if you like, that they spread their skill set. And it really is extraordinary when you look at people that you may not even think were engineers. I mean, Lee, you're an obvious example. You now chair an airline, which is a long way from a core skill set. But you look at some other very well-known names. Steve Wozniak from Apple, he's probably not so surprising. But Rowan Atkinson, okay. Mr. Bean. He's an engineer. Jimmy Carter, former US president. Alfred Hitchcock. Even Cindy Crawford, before she took up full-time modelling, she was studying chemical engineering. So what is it, do you think, Kerry, about engineering that lends itself to this, um, I suppose, flexibility? Yeah, well, I would have no idea what kind of skills that Cindy Crawford has taken from engineering. But in terms of the other ones, I I would, again, I'm going to go back to that problem-solving capability. But more so the aspect to understand the problem, to get to the real basis of the problem. And I guess being able to jump into a new field and immediately take in all of the aspects of what is involved in this particular field and the core of the problem, and then being able to figure out a step-by-step path for how to solve that. I think that's at least what I learnt through um, my engineering degree and also my PhD. And I think that is something that may be possibly not unique to engineers, but is definitely reinforced through the engineering degree. I think also engineering blends abstract reasoning with practical solutions. Oh, that's nice. And uh, I think that early on in your life, sometimes you find that you've got a bent towards that as distinct from sort of analysing Shakespeare. Certainly I found that. And, you know, I often say, be honest with yourself, look at what you're good at and what you're not good at. And uh, despite what pressures come from all over the place, try and pursue what are your inherent strengths. That was going to be a question of mine. What drew you to engineering, Kerry, in the first place? Was it appealing to your own strengths as you recognise them? Uh, I actually remember the first time that I considered being an engineer. And it was back to this idea of things that we talk about now and we take for granted that weren't discussed at all back then. And this was, I think about, it would have been 11 years ago, and I went to a talk by the then DSTO, Defence Science Technology Organisation, about drones. And no one at that time that I knew of was discussing drones, but this organisation, they were they were discussing being able to put these unmanned flying aircrafts into the air and have them communicate with each other and something back on the ground and distinct from actually discussing or or sending any of this information back to a person, they would make decisions and uh, possibly go into affected areas and rescue people or drop goods or they'd be able to solve all of these problems themselves. And that really struck me as such an interesting 
application and such an interesting problem. How would you put thought into something that you were you were then not going to converse with, that it would then be able to figure these things out for itself? And it was just this interesting problem. And I thought to myself, how else can we apply these things? And of course, that was the first thing that drew me to it. But then when I started doing engineering and going through my degree, I started to realise that these kind of technologies could be used to help people in other ways. I might not have the skills that are required to be a doctor, but I do have the skills that can be used to aid doctors to help in medical technologies, which is why I've now gone down this path of biomedical engineering. But I guess for me, yes, I was always interested in math. Yes, I always liked physics. But it was more of a, I want to solve problems that other people haven't attempted before. And engineering seemed like the likely path. I think one of the realities is engineers require quantitative analytical capability. And I'd have to say, I look back in my school days and I have a friend who became a famous songwriter. Now, I said, I remember him, good at English, lousy at maths. And I was probably the opposite from that. And you, you do play to your skills, but I think you also take a problem-solving approach to the world and you're applying skills that you've learned to real problems. And I think that's why engineers, especially with a quantitative analytical capability, a lot of them end up in financial management type roles, investment banking or banking. Anything which requires quantitative analytical skills lends itself to uh, employing an engineer. Did you, though, 50 years ago have a light bulb moment? You thought to yourself, yep, I want to be an engineer. I'd have to say I really didn't know totally what an engineer did. In fact, I didn't know a lot of what an engineer did. But what I did know was what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And then you're influenced by friends and family who are in the you know, related industries. And I could see that that was a better opportunity for me. And as you go through it, some change their career as they go. But as you go through it, you say, I think I'm playing to my skills here. Yeah, I was actually told that I shouldn't be an engineer. That was one of the things that, that was one of the other things that made me want to be an engineer. Who told you that? A friend of the family said that women shouldn't be engineers. Now, that's a whole other well, that's debate, That's a whole other it? topic. It's probably not what we're talking about today. No, but, but it's, <laughs> it's a fascinating one, and there is a huge campaign to get more women yeah. into the engineering profession, so it's terrific to have you talking to us today. One of the things that you both share is this interest and fascination with engineering innovation in health, and I know that, Kerry, you've been focusing on improving vision of the bionic eye. Where did that interest come from for you? So for me... As I said, I was was very interested in in drone technology and one of the aspects of that was the capability of drones to take in the world and understand it and that made me start thinking about vision in a digitised sense as well. And at that point in time, there was a catalyst. My mum was diagnosed with a very rare eye condition and she was told that sometime in the near future or in the long-term future even, she might go blind. Thankfully, that, that hasn't happened. She's still got great sight. But that really made me start considering that the way that we see really influences how we, everything about our world, everything. It changes the way we see the world literally. So it started making me think, how can I as an engineer use the skills that I've acquired to help people who've lost their vision? So it was it was all just a lot of things that happened at the same time that helped to catalyse that. And I love the comment that you made earlier that you may not have the skills to be a doctor, but you do have the skills to help people in, yeah. in the health area. Is Absolutely. that for you the future of engineering health? Oh, 
oh, the future of engineering is everywhere. I mean, absolutely, there's a huge impact that engineers can have in health. But as Lee said, there's there's a huge impact as well that we can have in um, financial areas, banking, mining, really everywhere. Health is a big one, though, because we're now starting to see the advent of trying to understand, say, the brain. This is something that, I guess it's a paradox, though. Will we ever actually be able to understand the brain considering that it's a brain trying to understand the brain. That's <laughs> but it's something that we're now attempting to do and it's something that we're, we're trying to invent uh, machine brain interfaces in order to be able to interact with the brain, possibly send or receive signals from it. And at the moment, our medical technology may not be good enough to be able to, say, use stem cells for this purpose, but we are able to see quite good improvements with engineering. So it's something that I see that engineers can work hand in hand with doctors to head in that direction. And possibly one takes a step waiting for the other to catch up. But it's really not a one or the other. We really can just keep helping each other towards that. The skill set that you describe, and increasingly now with collaboration across professions and across industries and the future of engineering, it's an extraordinary person who can become an engineer if they can do all of this. I mean, what sort of person is the right person? for this profession, do you think, Kerry? Well, that's a really tough question. Who's the right person to be an engineer? I'd, I'd have a go. I'd have a go while yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, go ahead. I think you do have to have reasonable quantitative analytical skills. I think you have to have an inquiring mind and you've got to be a person who doesn't necessarily jump to the conclusion before you've done some of the analysis, etc. I think you need people who've got an element of risk-taking and obviously if you keep making mistakes, you're not going to get very far. But the nature of work in typical industrial environment is you'll make mistakes on the way. The important thing is learning it. You've also got to recognise when you don't have the skills and draw some expertise in. And I think that's pretty important too. Yeah, I agree with all of those things. That's a nice, succinct summary. Definitely, I agree with the quantitative skills that you were talking about. And also the point that you made about being able to take in all of the facts prior to actually making a decision really resonated with me. But as you said, balancing that with taking a risk and possibly taking a chance. The thing is, we're probably not always going to know all of the facts and figures around a particular thing that we're doing. If we're jumping into the unknown, we won't have a fact about how likely it is that we're going to succeed. So being able to have a probabilistic mind frame at the same time, making a safe risk is probably... I, I often say business is quite often about calculated risk-taking. It's not gambling, it's just calculated risk-taking, trying to weigh up the implications of failure. And I'd also have to say in many projects, and I'm sure you've come across it in some of the work you're doing, you've got to be prepared to say, this isn't going to work. I call it shooting the dogs. You know, you can get people falling in love with their technology, spending an enormous amount of time, an enormous amount of money, and frankly, any objective analysis would say this is running into the sand. I think that one skill or maybe personality trait, which you didn't mention, I think is quite important and possibly underrated is creativity. I think that being able to think about ideas in a different way, lateral thinking, out of the box, that's something that's also incredibly important. Right. I'm not entirely sure if that can be taught. I think you're right there. I think the important thing also, when you're working in teams of people, you've got to make sure, especially as a senior manager in an organisation, you've got people who will challenge you. And, you know, you've almost got to introduce the what if yourself. I can think of one of my greatest bosses I ever worked for around the iron ore operations of Hammersley. He used to say, what if we've got this wrong? And I think you've got to force yourself 
to look at alternatives. Definitely play devil's advocate sometimes, mm. yeah. I think that possibly, you know, you have a great perspective on this from a management standpoint. From being one of the people who is managed at the moment in my career, I see that another good skill to have is the capability of managing upwards. So being able to... Uh, <laughs> As Lee looks at you cautiously. <laughs> well, I, I think that emotional intelligence comes into play here. Absolutely. You've, you've got to, sometimes you've got to convince someone that your project, which you're asking to spend so many dollars on, is worth the effort. And you've got to understand the risk, but you've also got to sort of separate the personalities from these things. You know, sometimes a very strong personality can overwhelm someone who's got a great idea, but maybe not quite the same personality. It's interesting, even in this discussion, we've put a lot of weight on personality. And that's something that traditionally is not a highly rated engineering aspect or characteristic. Yeah, I think that's because the university fundamentally is trying to give you the tools, the quantitative analytical skills, the experience and the the knowledge in specific disciplines. And the further on you go, the more you've got to apply those using creativity, big borrowing and stealing ideas, etc. One thing we haven't talked about is what I'd call the changing nature of how engineers in Australia might be working. And many of them will come into developing products or processes, etc. And I think the important thing is the nature. Australia is a high-wage country and there's nothing wrong with that. So the opportunities are going to be where the intellectual input, the IP, if you like, is a greater proportion than what I'd call the metal bashing or the welding. So I don't think we're going to make lawnmowers for the world, but we will make a lot of high-tech pieces of equipment which has a higher intellectual input, if you like, as I call it, you know, the nuts and bolts side of it. If you enjoyed this conversation, stay tuned for the next episode in the series where we hear how personal health care is changing and why you may soon be carrying your genome sequence in your pocket. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or in your favourite podcast app. Expert Hack is a podcast from the University of Melbourne where the Melbourne model is preparing students for the world beyond their degree. Learn more at unimelb.edu.au slash experthack.